They haven't beaten anyone other than the Rangers in regulation since April 6th. You don't have to always be going into the playoffs hot. I do think they're going to play to the moment. Okay, let's go out in the ice. I'll take this puck. I'll shoot it in your face. And then you'll know why we played that way. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 84. And you can tell me, you come here for the stability, right? Because this is not a Rangers podcast. A lot of madness on their side of the of the, the, the river culminating, we think, with President John Davidson and General Manager Jeff Gorton being fired, uh, today being Wednesday, and this is less than 24 hours after an organizational statement was issued calling out the NHL and calling out George Paros, the head of the Department of Player Safety. They called Paros derelict in his duty and unfit for the job after not suspending the Capitals' Tom Wilson. But this is an Islanders podcast, so we instead can look ahead to the playoffs for a third straight season. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And I'm going to get right at it today because we have a lengthy chat I recorded with a former Islanders goalie and current Devils radio analyst, our friend Chico Resch. The Islanders and Devils open a two-game set at the Coliseum on Thursday night, so I wanted to talk to Chico about that, those two games, and also because Semyon Varlamov uh, just broke Chico's team record for a shutout streak. Uh, Varley logging two, 248 minutes and uh, Chico coming in at 178.29, and that was in 1975-76. So I just wanted to get Chico's memories about that streak and uh, his thoughts on Varley and his thoughts on the Islanders. And as an alumni, uh, being excited for the playoffs. And also, please stick around until the end of uh, Chico's interview as he describes with, uh, with some emotion, I might say, what it will be like for him to leave the Coliseum for the final time, uh, we think, this weekend. And uh, the Islanders are indeed headed to the playoffs, but not likely to have home ice advantage after a 4-2 loss on Monday and a 4-3 shootout loss on Tuesday to the NHL worst Sabres in Buffalo. And uh, these two upcoming games against the Devils will tell you whether those two games were just an aberration after two emotional wins over the Rangers, uh, got the Islanders their playoff uh, spot or to clinch a playoff spot, or whether this is a team that is really struggling to the finish line, which will come Monday night in Boston against the always tough Bruins. And after Chico, uh, um, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers held their uh, breakup day via Zoom on Wednesday. So uh, uh, I have some uh, audio from uh, Bridgeport GM Chris Lamarillo and also Bridgeport coach Brent Thompson uh, sort of wrapping up the... 24 game AHL season and uh, after that we'll have time for just a a, a trio of uh, questions for Andrew's answers but before all that here's Chico hello big fella very happy to bring aboard uh, Chico Resch you know him you love him you you watched him play for years with the Islanders and uh, wanted to talk to Chico about uh, a couple of different things Uh, you know his 
his past with the Islanders, looking ahead to uh, the Islanders Devil Series, and and just basically any chance to talk to Chico, I will I will take advantage of that because he is a wonderful man, as you all know, and my friend, and I, I'm thrilled to call him my friend, Chico. Thanks so much for joining. Well, it's it's not only exciting to talk with you as well, Andrew, but this time of year where, I mean, Devils aren't in the race, which you kind of feel, you know, left out on the outside, just looking through the window, watching the party that's taking place or about to take place. But I am excited that the Islanders um, are in a position. And, and boy, they, these four teams in this division, it is going to be tough. I could not make a prediction which team is going to come out when, when it's all said and done. But it is going to be an exciting first couple rounds in, in this division. And so, I mean, I'm just happy to talk Islanders at any time. So I appreciate it. And, and I should point out that Chico, and, and he's a Devils broadcaster now, but he is, he's broken out his Islanders jersey. So I'm staring at Chico in the, uh, in, in the Blue Islanders jersey, which is just wonderful to see. And, um, you know, Chico, let, let, let's start there. You, you've seen the Islanders, uh, you know, six times already this season. You've seen everyone in the division. In your mind, how how different a team are the Islanders without Anders Lee and with your knowledge of Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac, what, what can those two do for the team in the playoffs if the two of them get their game going? Well, first of all, you know, Barry Trotz, there is no better coach than Barry. You know, you could argue somebody's as equal. I don't have a problem with that, but there's no better coach. And so Barry Trotz, uh, is analyzing those two guys, I'm sure, and trying to figure out where do they best fit. Barry's very good at, uh, like a lot of good coaches, putting players in a role that they can succeed. And so, I mean, all that is is transforming. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Anders Lee injury really, really hurt. I mean, he's, I'm, from, I'm from Minnesota now. And he's a Minnesota boy, but he, but he had a touch, uh, Andrew, right now in his career. That's pretty rare. You know, you've seen a lot of people shoot pucks. Why some pucks go in for some players and not for others? Uh, even me as a goalie, sometimes I wonder. But Anders Lee had the touch, has the touch, and it's really unfortunate. So when you talk about the two um, players that um, the Islanders got in the trade, we'll go with Kyle Palmieri. Kyle Palmieri's track record has been uh, Kyle's kind of a streaky scorer. Uh, but he's got a really nice shot and he, you know, he's competitive. He's going to get in there. I mean, the playoffs will probably suit his, his mentality and his style of play uh, very well because it'll be even tougher. And I like sometimes he, he kind of gets nasty and sort of gets irritable and it will lose it or, or just really be intense. I like that. Uh, but you know, the thing with Kyle and it's a, it's something that everybody's wondered about. I'm sure even some thoughts in his own head are, why can't I get the puck in the net now? I'm playing hard. I'm shooting pucks, but they're not going in with any regularity. And so I think with Kyle, he'll continue to do that. And then the unknown really is, is it Kyle's shot just a little off? Is he just not getting the breaks? Uh, will Lady Luck come back and shine on him? So he's a bit of an unknown in that way. Uh, and then, of course, for uh, uh, Travis Ajak, you know, Travis, 
uh, is going to play wherever you want and he will be efficient. You know, he, he's not going to drive the bus offensively. He, he, he can chip in a goal here and there, but I mean, if the playoffs turn real defensive minded, which the Islanders are capable of doing, uh, he will fit in nicely, but you know, the tough thing for, um, uh, Travis is down the center. You know, the Islanders are, are really good shape, right? They got four and have had four really strong centermen. So Travis has got to sort that out. Um, I think Travis's uh, importance will really come if, if the Islanders go deeper, they get to the first round, especially the second round where then, you know, there could be some nicks to players or they just need a rest. Uh, Travis would fit in beautifully, but um, you know, I'm sure Lou would tell you, I, I, you know, I, I researched this trade. I uh, got all the pros and cons I could, but there's still some wonderment about, you know, I, I don't know exactly how these guys are going to perform. And, um, and that's what we're all waiting to see, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, you know, uh, Kyle Palmieri is as much as I, he's a lot like I remember him when I covered the devils. He's a, he's a hard skater. And like you said, he, he brings that snarl and edge. He's, he goes to the crease. He's, he's, not, a, he's not afraid of anything. Um, but, but the goal production has just not been there this season. It hasn't been there with the Devils. He has, you know, as we speak, one power play goal for the Islanders. And, and it's a longer trend now. But this season is so odd. I, I don't know how much stock you put into it or, or, or if you really do have to put a lot of stock into it. Well, I, I just got to say, there are guys that are scoring even in this unusual time. Yeah, Like, there's some guys – and I'm, I'm not putting down Kyle. I'm just saying um, I don't buy that as much, you know, maybe as some people as an excuse. Yeah. Because some people – some players have thrived in their goal scoring. Uh, well, you guys – you know, the Islanders just played uh, the Buffalo. Uh, and, and, you know, he's, he's scoring like crazy. So um, – and, and, you know – Lou and Barry know that. There's no excuses, guys. You know, Kyle, I know just try your hardest. If you score, we think you still can. That's great. If you keep continuing to be snake bitten or whatever, that's part of the game too. But the one thing you know with those two guys, if there's uh, such a thing as getting a hundred percent out of players, those two will bring that uh, when the playoffs start. What, what, what can the Islanders expect from the Devils at, at this point um, of the season? You know, the Devils probably playing pretty free and loose, you know, final games of the season. The Islanders had trouble with that in Buffalo. Yeah, forgive me, but I, I don't believe in the free and loose that all of a sudden you, you just play differently. You know, they're playing the same way. You know, they got a nice structure. They got a group of forwards who are like uh, kindergartners who've been in the classroom and the teacher says, get out the playground. And they go out there and they're just, oh, so excited. Uh, they, they just come and they just go and go, that group of forwards. You know, um, two games ago, Boston shut us down. Boston played their A-plus game and the Devils couldn't get anything going. But last night, the Devils were trying. They played better, but Boston's very good defensively and they had a real good team. But then in the third period, and this is what the Islanders can expect, these guys won't quit. Their legs will be going faster in the third period than in the first. And they just started start to, to blow by some of the Bruins. They just were relentless. They don't stop. 
And so what I think the Islanders challenge is going to be, if they've let down, like, let's just, like you say, they kind of took Buffalo too lightly. They're saying, oh, we're in the playoffs. You know, the end is in sight. Let's get through these last few games, get some rest and get going in the playoffs. If they do that, this Devils team is going to run over. Like, they're just going to keep running right through them and over them. And, and I would, do you think I would be worried? And this is the only thing. I don't know what the scores are going to be. But I, I've been through a lot of playoffs, Andrew. I don't think the Islanders want to feel they're out of sync or that they got beat by being out-competed right. or that they got because the other team was harder to play against. You can lose, but I watched Pittsburgh and I watched Boston and they are cranking it up a level. Uh, and that doesn't always work. I mean, that you don't have to always be going into the playoffs hot, but I just would be worried if the Islanders don't play their game and play well in these next two against the, um, the devils, you know, that they could lose and, and they don't want to lose you know, two more games after losing two up in Buffalo. You know, Barry and the players have talked about that, you know, wanting to play their best hockey going into the playoffs. You, you, you always want to do that. And I guess that's why Monday's loss in Buffalo was a little troubling because you, you saw them get outworked. You know, they, they got the two nothing lead and, and, and their feet stopped, you know, and, and, and I, I know Barry was very unhappy with, 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 those, with that result. Yeah, you're, you're right, Andrew. And he, he can't really, you can talk about it, but Andrew, all of us, our minds are going in a direction that sometimes is just logical. It's human nature. Like the Islanders have had a long grind and they play a lot of close games and games don't come easy for them, wins, I mean. So they're saying, oh, could we just, these teams that are out of the playoffs, could we just get through them and then get really geared up? And I will say this, uh, no, when we won the cup with the Islanders, we were rolling. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think most years that we did well, we were rolling into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but I see the other teams struggling and they, they still do well in the playoffs. But I, but I think the way the Islanders team is built, uh, they got to feel, they got to feel some, some good vibrations in themselves as well as their team. And uh, that would be the only thing I'd worry about that, you know, they, they could lose a lot of that if they don't come out and, and play hard and, and beat the Devils. I mean, they almost need two wins here. Yeah, no, I, I would think so, just to, to feel good about themselves. And then a season finale in Boston on Monday, which isn't going to be easy. And, you know, I, I, I've heard so often about how much Barry Trotz reminds you guys a little bit of, of the way Al Arbor structured the team and, you know, the way he goes about his business. And, and I also know, you know, Chico and, you know, the other players from that era always talked about Al wanting the team to be peaking right around this time of the year, right? You know, December, December could be December, but if you didn't have, yeah. your, game, if you didn't have your game together in March and, and early April, Al was not a very happy camper. Well, he, he coached more. He, he never really micromanaged, but, but. He said, hey, I'll let you guys figure it out. we got good leadership, you know. Can't be uh, – it's like a parent. You can't be on your child every single day of the, of the year. Uh, so he would let us just kind of find our own way till about February, and then it was, okay, now, you know, I'm going to start to insist on 
on on a, a little more commitment, a, a little more or the right focus. You know, we're going to cut down on some things that maybe I've let you guys get away with. You know, and the thing about both Barry and Al, um, Andrew, was when they got when they were getting their point across, you know, and this is also in parenting, you don't want the child, the team to feel like I am really mad at you. I am telling you, do you know what I mean? Where you're feeling like they don't like me now like because they're so mad at me or I did something wrong and he's really angry at me personally. And I guess that's what, um, what both those guys can do. They can get their point across, but they don't leave the person receiving it feeling like, Oh, the coach doesn't like me. The coach thinks I'm I'm not very good, or you know whatever those feelings are. Same thing with children. That, yeah. uh, dad's really upset, and they, you know it seems like so simple, but Andrew, those people skills that both Barry and Al had uh, are special, and that's why if it was just a matter of you know systems and what they say, well, then every coach should just get tapes of them and listen to their. Their whatever, uh, their zooms and all that, and then just follow that. But it, it's not that. It's that. It's that. It's that touch. That people touch that separates um, coaches. Just like the scoring touch separates hockey players. There, there's a fine little level of those top end people uh, in both departments. And Al had it, and Barry has it. I wanted to ask you about Semyon Varlamov, you know, you being a, a goaltender and, and a guy who has his name in the Islanders record book a lot as well. What, what have you seen out of Semyon Varlamov over the years? What are you seeing out of him this season? And, you know, what, what do you like about him as a goalie? Well, you know, he's not full of holes. I mean, I always say, Andrew, it's not the shots that go by you that, that kill you or the team. It's the shots that go through you. You start creating holes. Like last night, we beat Boston, and Halak's a real good goalie. But, Andrew, he got he got beat on two big goals right through his arm uh, yeah. and his body where the blockers held. If he had just stayed tight, he would have been hit with both those goals. But my point is, uh, for any goalie, that's the difference. And then when a few holes start creeping in, uh, they start to their play diminishes. So Barlamov, it's going to be the same thing because with him, and it was like we with me and the Islanders. I knew I had a good structure around me. I knew that people uh, players were taking the backdoor play, the really difficult one timers where I have no chance. I, but that being said, there's a two edged sword here. People can say, well, Barlamov, yeah, he's playing really well. Well, getting shutouts. Well, no wonder he's playing on you know a really good defensive team, right? But then the flip side for the goalie is saying, yeah, I know I am, but I can't make a mistake. I mean, I can't be the weak link because we're not going to score uh, three or four or five goals every night. So so there's this trade-off going on. And, um, you know, I guess, again, I, I mean, I like him. He's had, you know, some good playoffs. But I will say this, Andrew, and he would know this, and it won't get easier when they get out of this division, but I've seen the goalies in, in the four teams that are going to be in, in our divisional playoffs and the goaltenders are going to have a huge say, not that they don't always, yeah. but you know, I always say he is going to have to be an impact 
goalie. He's going to have to be a star quite often in these coming playoffs. Uh, and if he is, then he will elevate is the respect that uh, people have for him. Not that I doubt him, but quite honestly, I, I got to see him under this extreme pressure coming up to get a really good evaluation of him. Yeah, no, it's a good point. He, he played well in, in the playoffs last season. Um but you know, uh, it's 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 always a prove it you know a prove it league. So you got to do it again and again and and again. That's one of the things that the Islanders of the, uh, the mid to late seventies and the and the eighties were so good at was they proved it again and, and again and again. And Chico, I just Semyon, uh, you know, just uh, he went on a shutout streak of two hundred and forty eight minutes, and uh, you know. You you had held the uh, the the team's uh, shutout record previous to that. Um, you were at uh, let's see 178 minutes. Uh, he's also uh, Varley's also got seven shutouts this season. That was your club record, and you still have the team record of 208 uh, for goals against set in 75 76. I I, I just wanted to. To, to ask you about your, your shutout streak in 75, 76 and what you remember about it. And was it the proverbial, you know, as they talk about goalies getting this string where all of a sudden the puck looks like this big, you know, beach ball coming at you. Yeah, no, that, that is all true. Um, and there's an internal feeling going on that not only are you going to be good, you're going to be lucky and you have to have both. You have to have the worst feeling is when you play a situation right and it shot wide and it hit a skate and went in or it hit the goalpost and went in rather than hitting the goalpost and go out. So the two have to come together. And they obviously were for Barley there and, and they were for me, me too. And then you get on a roll and you get this invincible feeling. And then the team gets into it as well. But What's always interesting when you come out of that and who would have thought it would be Buffalo that was going to, you know, put an end to all this. And not only that, but it was going to be a 28 year goal, eight year old goalie that was going to beat the Islanders. The, the thing is, and I think Barry did it well, once you fall off that wave that you've been riding, uh, you, you need a little rest because there's no question you have a big dip uh, just because you knew something special was happening in so many areas. And then when it ends, mentally, you do drop a little. So it was good that he didn't play last night. And, you know, but I got to give him credit because even though the Islanders are a good team, so many shots whizzing around. Boy, they just hit somebody and you get one bad break and the shutout streak is over. But, you know, like he's, he's older than I was. I was young and yeah. I didn't feel like I necessarily belonged yet. So I remember, honestly, Andrew, I never expected to make the NHL. I was never drafted or a star when I was younger. So those first few years were like, you know, honestly, it was like, is this really happening? <laughs> a guy from the Midwest who never even traveled much on an airplane is playing in New York, you know, and they're chanting my name. I'm thinking, really? Like, how did this happen? So when it started unfolding, like shutouts and goals against, it was an incredible time for me, but I have to be honest. Our team played much like uh, Barry's team plays. The defense first, 
you know, they, they, we, I had a really good defensive core in front of me as well as committed forward. So, you know, it wasn't like I was uh, Jacques Plante or Glenn Hall. If for fans that might not know those guys, but, uh, but I played well, but it, it solidified the fact that I felt like, okay, maybe I, maybe I can play in this league and actually have an impact. Well, I, I would say you did. You played 44 games in that regular season. You go 23-11-8 with that 208 goals against and a 927 save percentage. And remember, you know, in, in those days, the goals against and the save, the goals against were higher and the save percentage was, was lower. You know, it's not like today where it's, you're, you're expecting a 920 save percentage, but so, and, and I looked it up, your, your shutout streak was 178 minutes and 29 seconds, and it starts on December 2nd, 1975, in a 4-1 win at St. Louis, and Larry Patey scored at 5:15 of the first period. And, and what I found interesting is you made 22 saves in that game, it's a 4-1 win, and, and then Al plays Smitty the next two games. <laughs> well, that was Al. I think Barry does that a little bit too. I mean, Al was so fair. Uh, Al would say, look, at, you guys are both good goalies. And this is, again, a good touch, Al. Had. He says, you're going to end up at the end of the season. You're going to have played pretty much the same. But I might play somebody a couple or I might feel like so-and-so needs a rest or the other guy's been sitting and he needs to get in there. And that's why uh, I think Smitty and my uh, relationship is so good because – Al didn't really play one goalie against the other. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, he was very, very fair. And, you know, we just felt like he was a father figure and he really cared about us and, uh, and he cared about the team. And, you know, Andrew, you've got more than one child. You don't want one child to think they're more favorite than the other no, and all they, that stuff. So, they always try, so, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's right. No, that's right. And, you know, that was the thing with Smitty and I. <clears throat> you know, Smitty's <clears> – <throat> um, what can I say? Smitty's personality is like not a lot of other people. I mean, we're all like that. But Smitty's, you know, uh, uh, I don't even know. I don't even want to say what it is because I love Smitty. But we could have had a contentious relationship, but we did not. I mean, we really – we played tennis together. We we really meshed. And it was because of, of Al – Basically telling us both, the one of you isn't more favorite to me than the other. Uh, I mean, unless you're on the roll and shutout string, uh, he would let us play. But um, yeah, so I don't know what happened. You know, I, I played well in the playoffs the year before. And that, that you know, that, that gave me a sense of confidence, right, um, Andrew? But it was a short, you know, I don't know, month and a half or whatever it was. But I hadn't established myself over the long haul of a, of a league um, duration. And so that's why that season just really helped me understand. Uh, and, and you talk about save percent of goals against. Remember, we're coached at that time. We're coached by goalies who didn't wear masks. They're not going to go down in the butterfly and stick their face there. You've seen it, Andrew. How many goalies this year have been hitting the head with shots? And you got no mask on? You, you ain't leaving that game on your feet. You're being carried out in a stretcher. Yeah. My point is, so that's why we stood up more. That's why we gave the two-pad slide. 
That's why we did quirky things. And people say, why did you play goal like that? Uh, I want to say, let's go out on the ice. I'll take this puck. I'll shoot it in your face. And then you'll know why we played that way. And the masks you did wear are nothing like today. I mean, so, you know, even though, you know, you you weren't going maskless, it wasn't like you had 100% protection. It was still a fear factor. There's no fear factor now for goalies. There isn't. And I'm not good for them. But they're not afraid to get hit with a rocket. But when you have like Reggie Leach and Guy Lafleur or Bobby Hall or somebody ripping them up at your head, trying to intimidate you, you knew this would help. But remember, the stick went through here and ended Bernie Perrant, the great goalie's uh, career. And and somebody else got hit through the eye. So it was was a big improvement, Andrew, but it wasn't like uh, you're totally safe and – and so we played a little different, right? Yeah. I mean, I made a lot of you know, – I'll tell you this. In the history of the National Hockey League, I made him maybe made more of these saves, <laughs> my eyes closed, <laughs> than anybody else. Because there were some times I just said, I can't – like I couldn't move on it. It was just – like I missed the slap shots because you had the big hook, right? Yeah. And – for the fan, you know, that stick would come up and you just thought, oh, what's going to happen? Now they got the snappers with the wrists and, and the sticks are so flexible. There's still good velocity. But back then, oh, my goodness, those guys. And you would say in the room, I remember Bobby Nystrom or somebody say, hey, somebody waste one. Try to hit that goalie in the head from a bad angle. And then the next time you shoot, he'll be pulling up and we'll shoot it low. So, I mean, it was part of the uh, strategy to try to hit the goalie in the head and shake him up a little. So, All right, just uh, wrapping up your, your shutout streak. So I said Smitty played the next two games. That was uh, after you beat the Blues 4-1 in St. Louis. Smitty's in for a 6-1 win over the Penguins at the Coliseum. He made 31 saves in that. And then two days later, um, you open up a home-and-home home with the Sabres. Smitty gets the first game. Uh, uh, you guys lose 4-2 at the Coliseum. Uh, Jerry Desjardins, who was a, an original Islander, I believe, uh, made 31 saves in that yes. game with Sabres. Uh, and then you go to Buffalo, and it's December 7th, 75, and now it's your next start after the St. Louis game. And, and you win 3 nothing. You made 22 saves. Clark Gillies had two third-period goals. W- what I wanted to rem- uh, remind people is these aren't, the, the modern day Sabres, these, that, that was a team, you know, coming off a Stanley cup final, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had the French connection still and Danny Gare and well, Lindy Ruff, no, Lindy Ruff wasn't there yet. No, sorry, not Lindy, but they had uh trying to think of Jerry Korab. I mean, they had a really well oiled team. They should have won. They should have beat uh, Philly, mm-hmm. but the rules were, were different, Andrew, and they just got beat up by Philly. And, uh, but anyway, you know what I remember about the old auditorium there, uh, when you're playing Buffalo, I could still see, it would be like a goalie now watching Barzell skate behind his net down at the other end and start coming up the ice. I mean, Gilbert Perot, his lateral movement, like, I mean, you're in the net and you're saying, just, just stay still. He's not here yet. Quit trying to move with him. Uh, but, oh, it was quite a sight to see. Uh, he, he was one of the greatest players that's underrated 
The whole French connection line with Martin, it was just a brilliant line. But Perot obviously was was an amazing player that that, you know, he played in a smaller market. So not, you know, not as many people might have seen him. No, you're right, Andrew. And remember, this is the thing that people have to remember. They, they won't get it. Slashing, yeah. hooking, cross-checking was considered part of what you could do to slow down or intimidate your opponent. The referees, I often thought, like, if you got that cross-check, you would call a penalty. Like, they didn't realize that some of that stuff left a lasting memory. And in Gilbert Pro, because he had the – and in traffic, I mean, he would just get – whacked and hacked and um you know but he kept coming so that was to me made him even greater because he could fight through uh not not just a legal physical resistance but all that illegal stuff that was taking place in hockey and um you know so he he was an incredible player incredible yeah so, so you win that game, and then two nights later, uh, you beat the North Stars, the Minnesota, Minnesota North Stars, six uh, nothing at the Coliseum. Uh, again, twenty two saves. So you, you know, the Islanders not giving up a lot of shots. Um, I just love the names that you played in that game. Caesar Maniango was the opposing goalie, and, and I looked at the the North Stars lineup, and both Glenn Sather and Lou Nanny played for the North Stars that night. So, so you, you win six, nothing. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, uh, so the streak continues and then you get another start um, December 12th, 75. Uh, you go down to Atlanta and this is what you're talking about. You know, the Sabres snap Varlamov streak and, and the Atlanta Flames were not a very good team. And it's a three, three tie in Atlanta. Kurt Bennett uh, finally scores on you real quick. 344 into the first period. And, and then the, the Flames come back, score two goals in the third period. Uh, you tie with Danny Bouchard in the other net. Do you, do you, any memories of that game? Yeah, I remember the streak being broken. And again, like I say, then you get a little disappointed. Um, Atlanta was tough because, you know, there weren't Southern teams then. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it was about going down to Atlanta, but it wasn't a comfortable it wasn't a comfortable place to play not not that they were physical but it, it was just hard to get your head into playing them down there whereas the established teams it was easier um and you know they, they well they, they had i don't know if Guy Schwinard was there they they had a couple of real good offensive players uh, and Danny Bouchard was yeah, Danny Bouchard was a good goalie um, and played into the 80s with the Nordiques. Uh, I think Eric Vale was on that team. He was he was a pretty good player uh, at one point. But um, and he I, had that big slap shot. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to watch out for that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you I, know the other thing, Andrew? So you know, yeah. we didn't have great arm guards. People don't realize it's not just a mask. And those big shooters like that, they, they like to hit you up in the neck and the shoulders too. So, I mean, there was a real intimidation factor uh, when you played back then as a goalie. And uh, who knows? I might have flinched one and, and he scored a goal. I don't know. <laughs> but hey, I, I just wanted to wrap it up. Uh, uh, one of our subscribers, Anthony Miano, um, you know, I, I had mentioned that you were going to be on the, on the podcast and he, 
he was curious uh, about, he, he says he'll always remember you dancing up ice after the one nothing win in Pittsburgh in game seven of that 75 series. You, you come back from the three nothing deficit. Um, He's, he says that's ingrained in his head, just you dancing up the ice. What, what, what do you remember about that moment and that series? Well, it was just an incredible feeling again for me. We, we battled back. It's uh, the seventh game. Pittsburgh had a good team. They had Silab, Jean Pronovo, Lowe McDonald. I mean, they were a pretty good – they were a darn good team. Um, they were equal to us, but as I was saying – I just got every break in the book. I, I, that's when I kissed the goalposts. I just thought, I love my wife dearly, but right now <laughs> these goalposts are even a better friend. Um, and then when I did that dance, I was asked later, well, what would I call that? I called it the Chico Cha-Cha, you know? And um, it, it was just a magical time for me. But I remember they hit some posts early. They hit me in between the eyes in the mask. Uh, early, like I got lucky again. I mean, two goalposts and, and one off the, the coconut, they could have been up at least two nothing, certainly one. But that invincibility that we were talking about with Barlamov or whoever who's on this role, it's just the best feeling because it's not just about you playing well, it's also that uh, Dick Irvin was a great old player and coach, he's in the Hall of Fame. And he coined the he coined the phrase, and Doc Emmerich and I used to use it, the unseen hand. Like the puck should have gone in the net, but there was a hand that seemingly directed it another direction. And it was the unseen hand that was was playing a big part in those um victories. And, and I felt bad. Gary Innes, the goalie for Pittsburgh, he he really never recovered and didn't have much of a career. And other players, the coach you know, lost his job. And um, it was just such a fine margin of victory that it wasn't really their fault. But uh, I remember in the locker room, Bill Torrey at Al Arbor. Oh my, like we were a team. We were just hugging and I was, it was magical because remember the other thing is Andrew, our franchise at that time was not in solid financial shape. Yeah, We were risky. We went to Philly one night I don't know if it was that year or a year or two later. We couldn't get in our rooms. We drove down from Long Island, and the, the guy said, hey, you're, nobody's going to their room, so this bill is paid. Huh. And Bill, Bill Murray, had to get his credit card out and pay them right there on the spot before we could go. Um, so I'm just saying the, those playoff wins mm -hmm. really helped solidify, you know, the financial situation of the uh, Devils and so there were many different layers of why that whole spring was just magical for me. And Long Island was, oh, I love Long Island at that time. You know, I, anyway, but you took me back in time and uh, I better come back to reality. But I, I loved my time at, in yeah. those days. Well, uh, it's always it's always great talking about that stuff and, and the modern stuff as well. Uh, I mean, I, w one thing I learned when I was on the devil's beat and I, I was, you know, I got to talk to you, you know, every day was you, you talk so well on, on TV and you can analyze the game, but you really see the game like a coach does, because I, I remember a lot of times going to you 
and saying, how about this? How about this? And you diagram plays very, very well. And, and I don't know how much people know what an analytical coach like mine you actually do have. And, and I really do appreciate that. Well, Andrew, thank you. It could be a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing because as a, it is because as a, as a as a goalie, I had to analyze the breakout down in the other end to try to figure, okay, it started there, but what's going to take place in the neutral zone? And then in your own end, you're watching your players, the way they're positioning, and if they're leaving too soon or just a break here and there, goalies have to analyze all of that, that integral stuff that, the average eye is not going not gonna to see. So then, though, the problem is now when people say, oh, the, uh, the devils aren't doing this or they're not very – I say, oh, oh, no, no, no. You're not looking below the surface. There's so much else going on underneath. But I find that fans, I find, Andrew, they want to say, ah, that's going to hurt my head. I don't want to go that deep. I just want the simple answers, you know? Yeah. And, and I get that too. And, um, you know, so um, – you know, that's always the way I've been. And you're not good. We're not going to do it this podcast, but you should have. Like I got in a heated uh, discussion yesterday over the Tom Wilson oh, deal. Yeah. that happened. And I, I got to tell you, we won't get into it. I have trouble with people who haven't developed the hockey mentality. Now, everybody's different. Team first. You stick up for each other. Nobody takes an advantage. da 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 da, da. I remember I cut after I went to uh, the uh, Devils. Brian Trotje is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Andrew, he pulled a sneaky move on me. I took, I was my blocker. I might have been my catcher. I slapped him across the face. I cut him. Trotch was so mad. But someone would say, oh, Chico, that was on call for. And I'd say, yeah, if I could slow my emotions down and not have been caught up in the game and thought about it logically, I probably wouldn't have done that. But unless you are absolutely perfect in every real competitive situation you've been in, which most people have, have not, don't, I mean, you, you could say he deserved this, he deserved that, whatever. But don't say, well, why did he do that? Like someone said to me, well, I'm saying you would have no idea because you haven't been there uh, in terms of what you're trying to portray to your team. You know, that's what we did. I'll just tell you this now, we'll tie it together. Uh, when we were going to that playoff where we won the first cup, you know, guys are given nice flowery uh, statements and, you know, we got to do this. We got to do that. Billy Smith said, listen, I'm going to, we're going to cut right to the chase. Here's what's got to happen. I'll get hurt for you. You got to get hurt for me. They're trying to take money out of our pockets. We do whatever we can to knock them down. Now that's not life. That's not what you want to do away from the game, but on the ice, that's, that, that hockey back then was a lot of that. So but my point is, Andrew, seeing below the surface of things is something that we all got to step back and, and really look at. And, um, you know, and I always did that because I always try to cut people some grace and favor and, and say, hey, there but the grace of God goes me. I, I could have I snapped. I remember I wanted to spear Bobby Clark in the face so bad a couple times, Andrew. I just. I did, and I, I would pray. I said, Lord, don't let me spear him in the face tonight. Just please calm me down. And you say, Chico, that, that's not you. No, but when I played, there was some of that. So anyway. The reason everyone has gotten to the NHL, anyone who has gotten to the NHL, is because of the competitive nature. And it doesn't matter what kind of 
off-ice personality you have. When you step on the ice, the common thread is how super competitive everyone is. And and really, that's what separates you who have made the NHL with, with us who have not. Beyond the athletic ability, you can take two people with the same athletic ability. It's the competitive person who makes it to the NHL. Oh, obviously, Andrew. And, and then the ones that just don't quite make it, the ones that are great American League teams. I, I will say this on that. We can turn the NHL, NHL, no hit league. We, we can make it that. But back in the day when I played, and now it's not, imagine if you were a player who was doing some nice skills. Someone would take and where they wanted to slash you with a stick, turn the heel, Right above that shoulder pad. Mike Bossy had to retire because of so many cross checks. Just those shoulder pads above his pants. Okay. Bobby Clark would go in the boards and the puck would be, two players would be battling for it, right? He would take his stick and he would go in like he's jabbing to get the puck. But this is what drove me crazy. He would make sure it was a foot off the ice where he would catch the opposition player from behind and yeah. spear him in the back of the leg. Bobby Clark wasn't the only player. My point is, you grow up with that mentality. Um, and, and I don't know Wilson. I know he's 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 doesn't control his temper or not as disciplined, but he's a different guy. So if you want everybody to just be like, come on, like maybe Panarin should have went and said, Tom, Tom, now quit doing that tom you're acting like a fool but he jumped on the bear's back yeah i'm just saying you know tom flipped him around and obviously stepped over but i would say panarin don't jump on his back in that you know emotional situation so i'm just saying there's a lot of different levels uh andrew as you know and fans and you know have strong opinions but try to go a little bit deeper Listen, Chico, we could do we could do three hours of this. I, I, I really appreciate all your time and, and, and all your help and your insight and mostly your friendship. And I miss seeing you in person and, uh, you know, enjoy the uh, enjoy the next two games and enjoy whatever uh, playoff run the Islanders do go on. I am going to do both those things. And the third thing I'm going to do, we're coming out to the island. We're going to broadcast the games. And, and after the game, I'm going to go on the ice. Yeah. I'm going to go to the uh, the Islanders bench, and I'm going to, one last time, leave that bench and go through that door where we used to walk down the hallway to the dressing room and say goodbye to my good old friend, the Nassau Coliseum, and um, probably have a tear or two, because just talking about it right now, I get a little bit of a emotional a strain. But uh, So I'm going to really enjoy these two games out in the island. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you out there. And as always, uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with you more, Chico. Thanks so much. Thank you, Andrew. And again, li- like I told Chico, I, I could talk for the with this guy for three hours. And uh, there were times on the Devil's Pete where uh, certainly, uh, you know, we just sat there and you talk hockey with him. And, and I really mean it. Chico's mind is incredibly analytic and I, I used to love watching him diagram plays and you know show me where the defensemen should be heading where they did head um really really a great hockey mind um and you know he's a very affable person and just 
you know, uh, just easy to get along with. Uh, but 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 he is opinionated, and uh, you know, and, and that's what makes him a good broadcaster. And uh, and like I said, it, it's it's always great catching up with Chico, good friend. Uh, really, uh, been a privilege of my you know my career to get to know guys like Chico, and certainly Chico there. Um, but now we move on quickly. Um, uh, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, uh, the AHL season, as we know, was not a normal. Uh, it's certainly like the NHL. They didn't get 82 games in. Uh, each team or each division sort of played their own schedule um, with their own rules, it seemed like. There was very lim- limited travel, um, you know, in the Pacific Division uh you know they're going to go on and play a postseason tournament uh the uh the division uh Bridgeport's division with uh, which only included Bridgeport, Hartford and Providence and so that was the Islanders affiliate Hartford being the Rangers affiliate and Providence being the Bruins affiliate uh they just kept playing each over each other over and over again um uh so each team playing 24 Games Bridgeport finished eight fourteen and two, which is certainly you know not great. Um, better towards the end, they they seem to be playing uh, better. Uh, no playoffs on the table for that division, um, and you know it, it, this season was uh, as always in the AHL. You're looking at development, but uh, certainly. Uh, you know, the Sound Tigers did have their veterans, you know, Captain Seth Helgeson, uh, who spoke today, and uh, Cole Bardreau, who we, we got to know a little bit with the Islanders last season, and Tom Kuhnhackel, who's played, uh, you know, certainly a lot for the Islanders. Uh, those are guys, uh, names you might be familiar with. Otto Koivula uh, is down there as well, but really, and, and Tanner Fritz, shouldn't forget Tanner Fritz, but really, uh, it, it's about you know, developing the young guys. And, uh, you know, you certainly had to be pleased with, uh, you know, what big defenseman Samuel Bullduck did down there. Um, you know, in 24 games, he, he had six goals and eight assists and certainly, you know, showed a very strong uh, physical presence around his crease. He's a big kid. Um, and, and you got to think he's got a, a wonderful future in, in this, you know, in pro hockey, and uh, I think the Islanders hope within this organization, um, but, you know, certainly he'll attract, I, I'm, I'm sure Lou is getting some calls on him, Arnaud Durando, uh, four goals, four assists, uh, Simon Holmstrom, the former first-round pick, uh, who had been playing in Sweden before coming back to the AHL, he had four goals, three assists in, uh, in 24 games, and, uh, you know, Bodie Wild played 22 of the 24 games and uh also Mitch uh, Vandesampel uh played 20 of the 24 games and uh for those young defensemen certainly really good to see them get through a season healthy uh after both really missed uh a significant time coming into this season you know Blade Jenkins uh Felix Bebo um defenseman Parker Weatherspoon there's a, a lot of young talent down in Bridgeport and uh, you know even though the record wasn't good 
Brent Thompson, the coach, and Chris Lamarillo, the uh, GM, were talking about, you know, how it, it did get better at the end. And they, and they were, you know, encouraged by some of the progress that their young players make. And obviously, we'll see that over time as, uh, you know, hopefully things in both the NHL and AHL get back to uh, more normal next season. Um, you play a full 82-game slate. You can have, you know, more transfers bef- between the two, more of a chance to get up uh, rather than, you know, there being a taxi squad where, you know, if you were in the AHL, you pretty much knew you were going to be in the AHL. Um, so that that's not always easy. Um, uh, again, like I said, you know, Chris Lamarillo and Brent Thompson both speaking about the season today. And uh, I'm uh, going to play you uh, just three clips from this. Um, but Chris Lamarillo starts out and uh, he was asked, you know, just exactly how to assess the, this unique season in terms of development. We just ran out of time. And that was something that we knew we were going to have an issue with. We knew this was going to be a short and quick season. And I think that for us is the only thing, but it's something we knew going in. So for us, we were pleased with how these players adapted to the new environment they had to work in. Uh, but the time is, is, is the biggest thing that, you know, we didn't have any uh, luxury of, of extending. Uh, we knew that there weren't going to be any type of uh, postseason consideration. So this was basically a very tight exercise. And, um, you know, we're going to make the best of it and, and certainly apply the, the best uh uh, program moving forward for these players to continue to build off of uh, what they went through this year. Because I do think there's going to be a uh, uh, great benefit from it, uh, but it's going to be different benefit. It's not going to be, you know, a normal season to sit there and look back on. But the challenge and the way that they were able to successfully navigate the challenge to participate. Uh, I think you all have monitored the league and you see the interruption. You see the interruption with different sports at, at, at different levels. So, uh, you know, this was no small feat uh, to do what they did. And I think that's the biggest thing that we'll be able to look back on is that they were able to to get through something very, very differently. And that's the biggest thing that, you know, I'm going to take from this. Uh, but we were satisfied uh, with a lot of things that these kids uh, did show us on and off the ice. And Chris Lamarillo was was also asked um, how hard uh, he's going to look at that eight fourteen and two record uh, when he's evaluating what happened this season. Uh, you know how significant is that record given the circumstances? And as you'll hear Chris say, it, it you know it is significant. Well, I, I think any time that you play, Andrew, any time you practice, you're trying to win the practice. You're trying to win the game. And I think the record is always something you have to look at. So, you know, for us, we're, we're disappointed, uh, you know, to, to be on the wrong side of, of 500. Um, you know, we were satisfied with some of the, the things that we went through during the year. And I think if you look at the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know, we were happy to, uh, you know, maybe make some adjustments and then see some results, positive results in those adjustments. Uh, but there's no question you have to look at the record. You have to look at all of the statistics, uh, both individually and collectively, to manage any type of adjustments, to manage any type of developmental um, 
direction that you want to have moving forward. So I think it's always important, but you have to keep in perspective uh, how you, uh, I think, introduce this environment in this season uh, to make sure that you're not, you know, overanalyzing something or you're minimizing something, which you can never minimize a record. You can sit there and you can speak to why something may have not gone well, but I don't care if you go uh, 24-0, you go 0-24. There's something you're always going to have to address, and there's something you're always going to have to uh, make sure you look at to improve. And that's what development is about. These players, you know, are here for a reason, and uh, you have to make sure you continue to evaluate, uh, assess, and, and certainly reflect upon any results, again, whether it's collective or individual. And, and finally, Coach Brent Thompson spoke about There are always, everything is a learning experience, right? So even though they only played 24 games here um, and it it was not a normal season uh, in in terms of players being able to congregate, you know, outside really of the rink, you know, it's still, you know, there's a COVID-19 pandemic. uh, So players were under strict guidelines and, uh, you know, and also, and then, you know, we don't have audio on this, or I didn't cut any of it out. Um, but uh, a few of the players talked about the hardships this season, this AHL season, because there was such a, a significant pay cut uh, for them uh, in the AHL. And, uh, you know, some of the players talked quite frankly about, you know, how it was a struggle to kind of get get by you were really doing it because you loved hockey and you know uh, some players had to figure out their finances this season it was not automatic they uh you know they were struggling to get by and that plays into it so you know Brent Thompson was asked what kind of benefits there were for the players to to get through this kind of season and also how much did the players lose out uh on in this season well, I don't, you know, like, are they going to lose out on that first year experience? Some of these rookies, as far as the first year experience, uh, having that, whether it's, you know, the team gatherings, the, uh, you know, those kind of things where the team is together a lot, especially for us on the road. A lot of times you'll miss out on those road trips where you have team meals. The guys want to be together at a dinner. And then, uh, you know, early in the season, you usually have some team building things. That was a lot different this year, and those guys are going to miss out on that, but they're going to be able to do it next year. And I think that's one of the things they, they got to know each other, but next year hopefully it'll be a little bit better where we can have the team building that we want to build that chemistry hopefully earlier. As far as things they can take, just your life lessons in general, I think each kid, some of these guys, the first time they've been away, living truly living on, on their own, uh, you know, in a place renting and being responsible with groceries and learning how to handle the, the ways of the world. Um, those are huge growth uh, pieces that they can take and run with and, and be better for next year. And as far as the hockey aspect, uh, just the grind. And a lot of these guys, like I said in the last little bit ago, the grind of the pro hockey and all it is is practice some games and focus on, on trying to get your, your game to the best it can possibly be. I think they're going to take that and hopefully run with it. I think there was some really good lessons on adversity this year. Um, a lot of these guys had to go through some adversity um, as a team and individually, and you take that, and those that come out of that usually end up uh, taking another step in the right direction for their, for their career. So that, that was uh, Brent Thompson and Chris Lamarillo talking about Bridgeport's 
season. And now, as I said, we're uh, going to uh, do a brief uh, few questions here for Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And again, we're taking our uh, three questions here from Newsday Islanders Texts. Uh, the uh, Newsday subscription service, which is your best bet for uh, direct one-on-one communication uh, with me. Uh, You can text 631-303-3766 or go to newsday.com backslash aisles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. Again, the texting number was 631-303-3766. And we'll start with Michael Tricarico, who says, can the Islanders flip a switch and perform in the playoffs like the team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals last season, or are we looking at an early playoff exit? Because it sure is starting to feel like the latter. I understand that that sentiment. Uh, And it's not just, you know, getting one out of four possible points in Buffalo, um, which is certainly not optimum. But, you know, you know, Barry points to the two wins over the Rangers, uh, two emotional wins, uh, two dominating wins. But before that, you had, you know, an 0-2-1 uh, against the Capitals when really you went in that with a chance uh, to, to, to possibly finish first in this division. And now it certainly looks like, you know, the Islanders are going to finish third or fourth. Um, the Islanders haven't beaten anyone but the Rangers, and they, they have the three regulation wins over the Rangers in the span, but they haven't beaten anyone other than the Rangers in regulation since April 6th. That's a month. And, uh, you know, it's significant because regulation wins being, a, you know, a playoff tiebreaker if it comes to that. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I certainly think that's a little bit troubling. And, and I, I always... I I get a little antsy when a team has to flip a switch going into the playoffs. I I don't think that happens uh, very easily. So you know, yeah, is there concern? I, I would certainly think there's concern. Um, I am not guaranteeing an early playoff exit because you know I I think as you heard Chico you know say it, it'll probably. It usually comes down to goaltending in uh, in, in the playoffs, and uh, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll take Semyon Varlamov to start, and I'll even back him up with Ilya Sorokin in the playoffs, and I'll take those two probably a- against anyone I- in the East Division. Now, you know, other teams uh, may score a little bit more. I-, I-, I think if the Islanders can just tighten up a little bit defensively, and I, I think they will once they get to the playoffs. I, I do think they're going to play to the moment and, and they are going to play a little tighter defensively. And you couple that uh, with the with the the very good goaltending I think we expect going in. And, uh, you know, th- th- there's no reason to think that the Islanders are going to be an easy out in, in these playoffs. Um, Thomas Boyle says, do you see the NHL going back to the days of bench-clearing brawls and fights and totally disregarding player safety uh, because of the incompetence of the refs and having a goon, uh, he's referring to George Paros, in charge of player safety? And no, I, I, I do not see that whatsoever. And 
I always said if you wanted to get fighting out of the NHL, the easiest way to do it is to ban it completely at the levels leading up to the NHL. So no fighting in junior hockey, you know, in Canada. Because if you don't learn to fight, you're not suddenly going to get to the NHL and start fighting. You know, obviously it's not allowed in in college hockey, but, you know, I I just think, you know, if you take it away as an option for for a young player, it never becomes an option as as an older player. And look, you know, the the days, and this is what we're talking about, really, uh, again, with Tom Wilson and the Rangers, is that the, the Rangers don't have that quote-unquote tough guy on their team. I mean, at best, they have, you know, Brendan Smith and some some kid they're calling up uh, or called up from the AHL who had a few fights in the AHL. And that's, you know... Um, it's not a given that you have this tough guy on your roster. And look, the Islanders have guys who can protect themselves and their teammates, right? And it's not just Matt Martin. And it's not just Ross Johnson. I mean, Jean-Gabriel Pajot will step up for anyone. And, uh, you know, I know he's not been with the Islanders for a long time, but I can tell you Kyle Palmieri will step up for any of his teammates. And and the same with Travis Zajac. And, uh, look, Barzy defends himself. And uh, uh, you go up and down that line. Cal Clutterbuckle defend himself and teammates and, uh, you know, but there, there's not that, you know, the, the enforcer anymore. The 12 forward spots and the six uh, defense spots are just too valuable to have that old time enforcer on a roster. You have to be able to play hockey now. Plus with, I know the NHL puts its head in its sand in the sand when it comes to head injuries, or at least that's how, you know, they've shown their face publicly, uh, regardless of what they're saying behind closed doors. But in this day and age, you just can't have, you know, with what we know about, you know, concussions and brain injuries, you just can't sell a sport if that's all it is now. You just can't do it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, you, you see it in football. They're trying to take as much of the violence out of football as possible, um, turning it into a different sport. And hockey, I think, has, has really already turned that corner. It, it's still, you know, uh, it, it's become a faster sport and it's still a violent sport. And what I mean by that is there are high speed collisions that even if there's no malintent, uh, do become violent collisions. And you can't legislate that out of the game, but you can, you know, you can make it so there are no, you know, quote-unquote goons in the game anymore. And that's certainly, uh, it's going in that direction. I don't see it turning back from that. Finally, Al Payone says, uh, a couple of questions. Uh, the defense is kind of tired. Are you seeing that they are getting to the pucks in the D zone but are slow to make plays? Seems like their heads are thinking the right play, but the body isn't moving it fast. Um, you know, Barry Trotz has said that, you know, there are bumps, there are bruises at this time of the season. And yeah, th- there are tired players, uh, more more mentally exhausted players, I think, at this point, which is why Barry Trotz is is trying to get, uh, you know, a little bit of a break uh, for some of his guys, just get a little bit of a mental rest 
uh, is what Barry is seeing. But yeah, you know, the decision-making hasn't been as great. Some of the passing uh, or the pass attempts, you know, putting the puck in, in the wrong spots on the ice, uh, puck management in general. And, uh, you know, the Islanders just... Certainly in that first game in Buffalo, the uh, 4-2 loss, they, they get up 2-0 in the second period, and you could just see it. Their, their, their legs stop moving, you know, and, uh, and when the legs stop moving, that's, you know, you get beat to all the 50-50 pucks, you lose all your wall battles, and then that's what I saw out of that game. Um, you know, so I, I don't even know if their heads are thinking the right play. Um, like I said, I, I think there have been some questionable decisions. Um, and and it's it's not just the defense. When when I'm I'm talking five man units, um, but yeah, in the in the defensive zone, uh, it's been a little bit of a struggle to break out at times. And I think it's the decision making and getting hemmed in because you're not winning those wall battles and and, and those fifty fifty battles. And uh, you know, so that that has got to change, and, and that's why Barry's looking to uh, give uh, teams a little bit of rest. And and I'm sorry, Al. I, I see the second part of the question was to uh, uh, about Chico. Um, you know, uh, Islanders known as a team who kind of quote unquote choked a few times, uh, but learned through some tough series. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I your point is today's young Islanders fans might need to hear about this lesson learned before the dynasty, um, since they are quick to judge this team on a game to game basis. And you know, I'm sorry I didn't. You know, I, I spoke to Chico for almost an hour. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to this, but I will say this about that: having done a, a series on the 1980 uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, champions during the pandemic, what they all pointed to was they, they got beaten up in that, in that quarterfinal series against the Maple Leafs that they lost in, uh, in, in seven games, right? Um, and then, you know, the, in 79, the, the Rangers sort of, you know, took it to them in that six-game semifinal before the Rangers lost to the Canadians in the cup final. And, uh, but the the series that the Islanders look at as a real turning point was when they 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 literally beat up the Big Bad Bruins on their way to the 1980 Stanley Cup uh, uh, championship. Their their first time lifting the cup, and and that series against the Bruins really, like I said, it was a turning point. They proved to themselves that no one was going to take liberties with themselves anymore. Um, and, and no one was going to be more physical with them and, uh, and, and you know, uh, outfight them. And uh, you have, you know, it was up and down the lineup. It was certainly Clark Gillies and, and Bobby Nystrom. Uh, but you go up and down the lineup and uh, the Islanders were tough in that series and, and no one pushed them around again. So, uh, you know, sorry I didn't ask Chico about that, but uh, that, that, that's, that, that is certainly a good point. The Islanders did have to get tough uh, before lifting the cup. And uh, uh, until we, we talk again, thank you for uh, listening. And uh, again, I'm Andrew Gross and Newsday. You can uh, find me on uh, Twitter at A Gross Newsday. You can find everything I do, I say, or even the, the times I'm on video. That is all up at newsday.com backslash 
Isles. And thank you again to Chico Resch. And uh, thanks to the guys in Bridgeport, uh, uh, Chris Lamarillo, the GM, and Brent Thompson, the coach, and all the players who spent time uh, doing Zoom interviews on breakup day. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for the questions. And until next time, happy hockey, everybody.